Hey, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Happy Fourth of July. Great to see you. Welcome to Awakening. If you're new, my name's Ryan. Uh, this morning, we're diving into a new series called Sacred Writings. Really, how to get into God's Word and how to really get God's Word into you. And so I wanted to start with a question uh, to set up our time. And I'm going to try this. So this is really audience participation. Uh, so you can talk back to me in this part of it. Um, don't yell. But, but here's the question just to set up our, our conversation this morning. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear the word Bible? Like what picture, what words, what is the word or thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Bible? All right, you got it? You, you're there with me? Yep, okay. And then, so what is it? Help me out. Let's yell it out. God's Word. God's Word, yeah. So that's another way that we describe the Bible, God's Word. Someone else was going to say? Jesus. Jesus comes to mind. Yeah, we discover uh, the person of Jesus in the New Testament specifically. What else? Authoritative, sure, absolutely. Uh, that, that's kind of a word that's been lost and maybe even uh, nega. That's not a word, but we'll make it uh, in our culture, right? But that there's, there's authority or weight behind it because we believe it's God's word. What else? Yeah. 66 books. That's very specific. That's right. There are 66 books in that. We'll talk more uh, about that. that is, sometimes we think it's, um, you know, one book, but it's actually 66 separate books or letters or historical writings. What else? Bestseller. Bestseller. All time. That's right. In history, it is the bestseller. What else? Oh, we have no other thoughts. <laughs> the cross. Good job, son. There you go. Proud of you right there. All right, I wrote down a few things. I don't know if you remember this. Um, in the olden days, um, that is 20 years ago, uh, they used to have on the Bible, Holy Bible. You remember that? Holy Bible. You always called it the Holy Bible. Scriptures, another word. Some people, the word that comes up to their mind might be old, maybe antiquated. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Irrelevant. Uh, sadly, I, I see this more common among uh, followers of Jesus in the U.S., that it's a nice but not necessary. It's just a nice idea. A number of years ago, I was, um, we were doing Awakening, and this guy, um, we'll call him Aaron, because that's his name, <laughs> and, and Aaron walks into the back uh, of our auditorium, worship's happening, uh, I'm speaking, and his story is one, he's an intellect, Silicon Valley, works at a high-tech uh, company, self-proclaimed atheist, at very least agnostic, and uh, never grew up, never went to church, no spiritual background, but is going through a really uh, very difficult divorce, and drives past and sees a church happening and decides, might as well wander in. In that moment, he has what he calls a life-changing encounter with God, something he didn't think could happen or exist and didn't even know that God really did exist, but he shows up and he experiences 
God in just a powerful, transformational way to the point that this guy that never attended church, never he comes up afterwards full of questions and wonder and wrestling and longing. And so then we sit down and begin to have lunch conversations over the next few months. One of those lunch conversations, he gives his life to Jesus in the parking lot of a Mexican food restaurant because Mexican food is like really close to God's heart, I think. And I remember as we're sitting and talking and, and he, uh, over one lunch, he begins to ask me, he says, now, Ryan, when, when you talk on, uh, up, on Sundays, you talk about the Bible and then you talk about the scripture and then sometimes you talk about God's word or the word of God. Are those like different books? I was like, I realized my insider language He didn't understand because when I talk about the Bible and when I use the word scripture and I talk about the word of God, there is a clear picture in my mind. However, I spent a couple months with this guy and I failed to express that clear picture to him. And it's just natural. It's normal. And here's what I'd like to suggest, that many of us have probably some similar pictures but probably some very different pictures as well that comes to our mind when we think about the Bible. What I want to do this morning is my aim is simply to help maybe paint perhaps a new picture for you this morning when you hear the word Bible, when you hear the word Scripture, same thing, Word of God, same thing, all talking about one book that would motivate and inspire you to get into this book to get to know God. That's my aim this morning. I just want to inspire you. I, I want to hopefully paint a picture that is so compelling that tomorrow you would wake up and you go, I, I want to get into God's word. I, I want to get to know God through his word. And so to do that, if you would open your notes and we'll dive in this morning, this weekend, this particular weekend, we celebrate something that took place 240 years ago to the day, the Declaration of Independence. One of the most sacred or arguably the most sacred writing of American literature took place, and really it was embraced, just this is kind of geeking out for you, it was embraced July 2nd. Um, and John Adams thought July 2nd was going to be the day, and yet it wasn't fully um, written out uh, until July 4th, or, and so that's why we celebrate it on July 4th. But 240 years ago, 13 colonies are at war. We were at war for a year with Britain until this document was written. Thomas Jefferson pens these words along with the help of John Adams, Ben Franklin, and two other guys that we don't really know, or at least I don't. It's the foundation of our country. It's the very founding document upon which the United States, for us as American citizens, for those of us who live in this country, our country is built upon. And it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That there's some things in this world, don't you agree, that are so true, 
You don't need anyone to tell you. They're just evident. You can see them that it's true. That, that you just watch, and this is, this is what's true, and you just see how it works in the world. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that you can see it without explanation. And the very first thing they say is that all men are created equal. Founding document of our country. Now, this is powerful, and this is profound, because we didn't actually follow through on all this initially. <laughs> but think about this. That statement says, regardless of religion, you're equal. Regardless of your racial background or gender, you're equal. Regardless of your social economic standing, all people are created equal. Now, this wasn't a new idea when it was written. However, it was not widely accepted. And I would encourage you this 4th of July weekend, if you would, look up Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s His I Have a Dream speech. And what you'll find is the foundation for his argument in the civil rights movement was birthed based on the founding of this document that our our founders wrote, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That they're endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. This was revolutionary. Literally, we had a revolutionary war about it. Think about this. That every single individual has rights. Not just a government that has right. Not just a religious sect that has right. But every single person is endowed with inalienable rights. What are they that they wrote? That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Eight years of war then took place. Eleven years later... And four years after the Revolutionary War, our founding fathers sat back and looked at the initial charter for our country and saw that it was inadequate to live out to the declaration of what they said we are about. And so then we see yet another sacred writing for our country, the Constitution. Now think about this. You've just won. We've just won our independence. We fought. We, we sacrificed everything. That was just, that, that statement was just a dream. It wasn't independence. It was a declaration of it. But it took eight years to finally embrace and see that independence come to reality. And so think about all the emotion with this preamble of the Constitution that is written into this. Think about the, the feelings that swelled up in those founding fathers as they realized this independence that was declared is now realized. And they're wanting to make sure that we don't ever lose it again. It says we, the people of the United States. You couldn't say that before. But now we're a country. Now we're a people. 
In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. The sacred writings upon which our country is founded upon. And what I love about our forefathers is even after they wrote the Constitution, they realized it didn't defend the individual rights that they set out to defend as strongly as they wanted. They, they didn't have it as clear and as detailed as they wanted. And they were uh, fearful that one day, if they weren't clear enough, that the power would outweigh and outbalance the people. And so then they came up two years after this with what's known as the Bill of Rights. Why? Because you have unalienable rights. And the First Amendment, think about this, because this day, this day is happening. We are gathering. Don't miss this. We are in this place experiencing freedom because our forefathers took to pen and paper and put into writing the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. They can't determine what you believe and what you don't believe, whether it's right or wrong, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging of the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for the redress of grievances. Now, this is amazing. We don't often connect the dots this way, but we gather in this room Because men and women fought for the right 240 years ago and wrote it down to make it the foundation upon which our country is built upon. That you would have rights and freedoms and I would have rights and freedom that we can gather in this place and worship freely. And we take it for granted because that is not the case in many parts of the world. You have the freedom, don't miss this, you have the freedom to post whatever you want on Facebook, which I wish you didn't sometimes, (laughs) but you do. You have the freedom to disagree with politicians and presidents and to criticize them openly, to use satire if necessary. And whether it's right or wrong, you have the freedom to say it. You have the freedom to disagree with where our government's going and to peaceably organize in such a way to protest it. You have the freedom to do that. And it goes all the way back to these documents written. 200 plus years ago, the sacred writings, if you will, of our country. Here's what I want you to notice. These aren't just historical documents for those of us who live in America and who are citizens of the United States. These are the foundation of the life that we experience that actually, (laughs) this actually informs our daily life, your freedom, and your rights. Now, I'd like to suggest to you, this isn't an ancient artifact. Simply a historical record of antiquity to be studied and somehow... 
examined. But the word of God is a declaration of independence for all who embrace what is in this book. Because we believe this is not just any word, but the very words of God to bring freedom and hope and peace and life. In fact, Jesus said it this way. In his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, he closes out his sermon with this powerful picture to unpack the word of God. He says it this way. Therefore, if everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Help me out. Yeah, I'm mumbling. That's good. <laughs> everyone, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and help me out. I'll stop right there. The Declaration of Independence means nothing if we didn't do anything about it. For some reason, many of us go, I want to know more of God's word, but it means nothing if you do nothing about it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, everyone, Jesus speaking to this crowd, just finished the most profound sermon of human history. Who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practices, well, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He had a beachfront view. In fact, he probably bragged to all his friends, come over, 4th of July, I'm throwing a great party. It's like his house built on the sand. The rain came down and the stream rose and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. I I just want to paint one picture of what God's word does for you. If you'll embrace, if you'll put it into practice. See, God's word is the foundation to truly experiencing freedom in this life. God's word provides the very foundation upon which you can experience true freedom. Not just civil freedom that we experience, but true freedom of your soul. Think about this. God's word provides freedom for enjoying a relationship with your creator upon which you were designed. That the great hunger of your soul, the great need to be fulfilled, is met in the relationship with the God of the universe. And God's word provides that foundation for you to engage and you to enter into that relationship. The freedom to be and to live out exactly who you are made to be. Think about this. You don't have to wander through your life wondering, am I going to waste my life? Wondering, am I living in the purpose that I was made for? He provides the foundation for you to experience the freedom. If you will embrace his word as true, if you will live it out, if you'll put it into practice, provides the freedom 
to experience the life you are made to live, to experience life that's truly life. I mean, our freedom quest, it's an American quest, but God said, no, 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 I want you not just to experience, I want you to experience life that's truly life. I want you to experience peace that's unshakable, joy that's unfading, and purpose that's unquenchable. God's word provides the freedom from the tyranny of living up to others' expectation. Here's why. I love what Scott McKnight wrote. He says, the Bible is unlike all other books. Because these words are God's word. This book is God's book. And this story is God's story. That we don't believe this is just any ordinary book, but that God, the relational God, spoke and wants to speak to you and wants to meet with you and wants to know you and wants you to know him. And in these pages are the very words of God to you. And to me. Let me ask you a question. Jesus' picture, foundation. Just honestly today, where we're at, July 3rd. What is the foundation that you're building your life on? I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about it in that way, but, but what's the bedrock? What's the things that you're building your hope and your dreams and your future upon? It might be success. It might be your family. It might be happiness. I don't know what it is. But the question that Jesus begs of us to ask is, will it sustain you in the storms of life? The one common denominator between the wise and the foolish was the rains came. The storm comes. The question isn't if a storm will come. The question is when storms come. And you know the problem with storms? You can't do foundation work in the midst of a storm. All you try to do is in the midst of the storm, hold it all together as best as you can. See, foundations are revealed in the midst of the storm. You cannot build them in the midst of a storm. And the question, what is the foundation? What's the bedrock of your life that you're building upon? And will it sustain you in the storms of life? Jesus would say, listen, Here's what you need to know. My word is true. My word is life. And if you will build your life, if you will put it into practice, if you won't just be satisfied and satiated with being a smarter Christian and going through the motions, but you'll take me seriously at my word, it will be the bedrock foundation upon which when the storms come, you have the freedom to worry not. You wonder why Jesus could tell them, do not worry. 
So it's because your foundation is built upon the words of God. So how do you, how do you figure out what your foundation is built on? I think, um, I think if you just fill in the rest of this sentence, it will determine, it will help you see what you're currently building your foundation on. The most important thing is blank. I mean, what's the most important thing in your life? I mean, how would you finish the rest of that sentence? The most important thing is happiness. I think many would fill this in. The most important thing is that my kids are happy. That's not a bad thing. But that my kids are happy, that my kids are healthy. But what happens when the storm of life comes and happiness isn't available? What happens when your kids don't take the path that you long for them to take? Then their very foundation of your happiness erodes. The most important thing, we wouldn't say it this way, but it's to be financially free, be financially independent. To be able to do what I want, when I want, wherever I want. That's the most important thing to me. But what happens when the economy crashes? Or better yet, what happens when you get it all and you realize it doesn't fulfill? How would you fill in this? The most important thing is... Now, for many, you know the right answer. I'm not asking you for the right answer. I'm asking you for the real answer. It's a big difference for many. What is the real answer to that question? How would you fill it in? I love how Jesus circles back to this idea of foundations and what's most important. On the night he was betrayed, he wants to give his disciples this Incredible picture, something they wouldn't forget. Now think about it. It's his last words to his disciples that he wants to make sure they don't miss what's most important to build their life and future upon. And he's about to be executed. Just had the Lord's Supper. He's walking to the garden. Many people believe along his way. He comes across a vineyard and an ample place for a word picture to pass on to his disciples what the most important thing is. And he says this to them. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. The most important thing you need to understand, disciples, before I go, is there's lots of vines out there. There's lots of things that are competing for your attention, that are competing for what's most important. They all are saying, I, we'll sustain you. We'll give you life. But what you need to know, there's only one true vine that will bring life and fulfillment and ultimately satisfy. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Now here it is. Remain in me. If he's the true vine, remain in me. Some of your Bibles say abide in me. Stay deeply connected to me. You want to have a life that is on the solid foundation. Remain and abide in Christ. 
and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. <laughs> Sometimes we get this mixed up. <laughs> we we kind of think we're the vine and Jesus is the branch, and we ask Jesus to come plug into our life. He says, no, 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 don't miss this. I am the vine. You're the branch. Order, organize, prioritize your life around Jesus. And don't ask Jesus to order, organize, and prioritize his life around you. He's the true vine. If a man remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be given. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, don't miss this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's your starting place this morning, by the way. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What's about to come next isn't for love, it's from love. It's not because you're trying to earn love. You already are beloved, and so it's an invitation to live out into his belovedness. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. How? If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love. If you hear my words and put them into practice, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Why? I have told you these things, that my joy will be in you and your joy may be complete. The freedom, friends, to experience joy complete. Joy. Regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the wind and the waves. Joy that cannot be diminished by the ever-fluctuating demands and pressures of your life. That when you abide deeply, when you order your life and say, this is God's word, he wants to speak to me and I'm going to build my life upon it. He says, I've told you these things that you would abide deeply in me. And that my joy would be in you and your joy would be complete. Once again, quoting Scott McKnight, he said, God gave the Bible not so that we can know it, but so that we can know and love God through it. Sacred writing. God's word provides the foundation for experiencing true freedom. It's more than just a history book. It's a declaration of independence for all who would embrace what's inside it. Four years ago, we were doing a prayer walk. 
Many of you don't know this, but uh, September, we launched as a church four years ago. And July, at this time, we didn't have a location <laughs> of where we're going to launch. We're still searching. And so we were praying desperately as a community, uh, as those who are starting this community. And so there's about 8 to 12 of us that went downtown to do a prayer walk to pray for our city. By the way, we named our church Awakening not because it's clever or catchy. We named it Awakening because that's what we long to see God do in this city. We, we named it because we believe there's an awakening coming and we want to be a part of what God's doing of bringing new life to Silicon Valley, to this generation. And so we're downtown and we're prayer walking and walking these streets. And all of a sudden I see this guy come around the corner and, and he's like staggering like this. I'm like, maybe he's drunk, but his arms are up like this. And it looks like he just came out of the grave all dirty and there's white all over his face and blood everywhere. And then another guy is right behind him, just like this, all through it. All of a sudden, we're engulfed in hundreds of zombies. (laughs) Uh, We had no idea that the day we decided to do a prayer walk downtown, there was also a zombie convention happening right downtown. And the irony of God, as we pray for awakening for this city, as we're walking among the dead, was not missed on me. Ezekiel said, there's a valley of dry bones. As we look out on this city, so many are living the walking dead haven't experienced freedom in Christ. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Let Christ shine on you. And for many, the freedom that I just talked about this morning, you haven't experienced. For some, you've known about it, but you have not applied it. And we're going to take communion, and it is the picture for us as followers of Jesus of our freedom in Christ. And for you, it can be a declaration, not of independence, but of dependence on him, of saying from this day forward, I'm going to found my life on you. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Let Christ shine on you. Let him be your light and your life. And you would take communion with us in a new and fresh way because it is awakened ones who are going to bring an awakening through Christ to the city. And others, today's the day of salvation. Zombie living, numb living, maybe another way to say it's sleepwalking. You feel like you're just sleepwalking through life? Feel like you're just going through the motions. Peace that's unshakable, you want that. Joy that's unquenchable, you want that. Purpose that is unfading, you need that. And today, you would call out. It says, all who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you don't have to do it perfectly, and it's just you and your seat. And you can do it during worship where you say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you came for me at my very worst. God gave his very 
best. He died for you that you might have life. And he rose against new life so that you might experience life that is truly life. You might experience freedom and purpose in life. But it takes a decision to put your trust in him. And today I'd invite you as we worship If that's where you're at, just to put your trust, just say today, Jesus, honest confession, I need you. I don't get all that that Ingram guy was talking about, but I want new life. Would you come into my life and make me new? And then have a conversation with somebody, me or some of the staff. As we take communion, we practice an open table. You have the elements over there, the bread and the wine or grape juice. It's his body broken for you, the cup of the new covenant. And we're simply going to worship together. And, and I ask that, that you would begin to invite God to do a work in you. That sentence, the most important thing is, and make it a longing, make it a prayer. God, I long for you to be the most, I long to found, I'm not there yet, but I want you to do a work in me and invite him to do the work that only he can do in your life. And at any point throughout the worship set, you can get up and go take communion. Let me pray for us and we'll continue. God, this is a moment that you have set aside for each of us to be here. You long to meet every single person in this room in such a meaningful and real way. You love them. You delight in them. You long for them to experience all the goodness that you created them for. And so, God, I ask that any obstacles in their way, you would break it down. Any reservation that's holding them back from you, you would bring it to light. And they would have the courage to step into your love today. That as we take communion, it would be a declaration of your love, a declaration of your freedom that we now live in. That this wouldn't be perfunctory. This would be, this would be the lifeblood of our lives. Christ in me. Christ in you. The hope of glory.